Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Kate Faulkner. Hello, hope you're okay. Thank you for downloading today's podcast on Wednesday, May 10th. Our top story today, tributes are flowing for the mum of two who died after being shot in her own home in Dartford. Dan has been following this story. Dan, I understand more details have now been released. Yes, so we now know the victim was 36-year-old Hayley Burke. Police were called to her home in Priory Road on Saturday afternoon where neighbours say she was being held hostage. As well as police, a trained negotiator was also at the scene to try and engage with the man inside before officers reportedly stormed the property. Haley was taken to a London hospital with injuries believed to have been caused by a handgun, but she sadly died on Monday evening. A 29-year-old man was also taken to hospital with gunshot wounds, and he is now being treated as the suspect in a murder inquiry. We've been able to speak to some of the neighbours who were home at the time. What can they tell us about what happened? Well, those who were home at the time were told by police to stay inside, so there aren't a lot of eyewitness accounts. However, one person said the standoff lasted for about an hour before pandemonium broke out. Many people have reported hearing a lot of gunshots. One woman, who didn't want to be named, described the scene as chilling. And now tributes have been left at her home. That's right. Floral tributes and cards with personal messages are being laid at the scene as neighbours and the surrounding community come to terms with the tragedy. One of Haley's friends spoke to Kent online and said Haley loved her two boys with every inch of her heart and always had everyone laughing. This friend also says that Haley had so much love to give and she didn't deserve any of this. A murder investigation is now being led by the Kent and Essex Serious Crime Directorate. Also making news today, an elderly woman has died after being hit by a bus in Chatham. Police and paramedics were called to the Waterfront bus station just after two yesterday afternoon. Globe Lane was closed in both directions and traffic through the area came to a standstill as emergency services tried to get through. The victim was sadly pronounced dead at the scene. Now investigators want to hear from anyone with CCTV or dashcam footage. Kent Online reports. Taking a look at our other top stories today, a Faversham mum who turned her life around after spending time in prison is now facing homelessness. Emily Gibbs has been in temporary accommodation with her young daughter for two years and they lived in eight different council properties. She's struggling to find a permanent home because she was evicted from a social tenancy seven years ago and it's still on her record. A Folkestone man who repeatedly contacted his ex then burnt things belonging to her has avoided being sent to prison. Lee Clark called also threatened to post private pictures of his former partner if she went to the police. The 51-year-old from Fairway Avenue was given a community order and will have to do rehab. It's feared there could be traffic chaos near Sittingbourne this weekend as part of the A249 is going to be closed. Work's being carried out between the M20 and the Stockbury roundabout from Friday night until Monday morning as part of a £92 million upgrade to the Bigi Junction. Some parts of the M2 are also going to be shut later this month for separate resurfacing. Work. A legal expert's been telling KMFM how the government's new immigration bill could damage the country's reputation. Ministers insist the controversial legislation will reduce the number of people crossing the Channel to Kent in small boats, but some say it breaks international law. It's being discussed in the House of Lords later after already passing through the Commons. Zina Lachawa is from the Law Society's Immigration Law Committee. We have three main concerns as a law society, um, and essentially, in summary, uh, we believe that the UK should have an asylum system that is fair and that's fit for purpose. Um, this is a bill um, that will make decisions have, which will have profound impacts on individuals' lives. Um, in terms of our concerns, they fall under three main headings, rule of law, access to justice, 
and workability. Uh, now I'm going to talk about um, workability first because I think that that's of major concern to those um, in Kent. The provisions in the bill, we believe, um, are ultimately unworkable um, and inc incapable of being implemented in practice. And the reason for this is that it is reliant on a number of factors which have so far proved to be problematic. Uh, for example, um, the bill relies on the existence of safe and legal routes. It, it relies on agreements, and these are functioning agreements, with safe countries for removal. Um, and also, quite importantly, it relies on adequate detention and removal facilities. Um, without these, what we are not going to see is numbers decrease in terms of crossings to the UK. Um, what we will likely see is more people being detained uh, for lengthy periods in the UK. So there's a question about um, where these individuals will be de detained and for how long. And then if you can talk about the, the two other areas of concern for you, what do you mean about um, upholding UK law, firstly? Um, so with the rule of law, this is essentially the idea that everyone, including the government, obeys the same domestic and international uh, laws. Um, and our concern with the illegal migration bill um, is that um, it will be incompatible uh, with international laws which the UK has signed up to. If the UK is willing to breach international laws, um, then this could not only damage um, our international reputation, but also the UK's attractiveness as a destination for business and investment. And the other concern that we have is in relation to access to justice. Um, the Law Society believes that um, you know, all individuals should have access to justice, should be able to understand and enforce their legal rights. Um, what this bill will do, uh, it will prevent people, uh, no matter what their merits, because that's not going to be considered, uh, but it will prevent people from being able to access certain legal protections. The Archbishop of Canterbury will reportedly make a rare intervention to criticise the policy. Kent Online reports. A Medway couple say they've been left £100,000 out of pocket after a builder damaged their home. Dan Caney was paid to do a loft conversion in Gillingham but became increasingly unreliable and eventually caused part of the roof to collapse. Stacey and Carl Mutton have had to fork out thousands to get it repaired. We've reached out to the builder but had no response. The head teacher of a special Needs School in Thanet says nearby housing developments are disrupting pupils' learning. Construction vehicles near Laleham Gap on the New Hain Road in Broadstairs are said to be distracting children in class. Les Milton's also concerned about a lack of privacy with homes being built on three sides of the school. A month after a huge landslide closed a road in North Kent, people living nearby still don't know when repair work will start. Part of the A226 Gally Hill Road in Swanscombe collapsed into an industrial estate below on Easter Monday, leaving residents without water or Wi-Fi. Diversion remains in place and so far no date has been given as to when it will reopen. The County Council declined to comment. One of Kent's newly elected Green councillors has been telling KMFM why she thinks the party did so well at the local elections. This time last week there were 21 Green councillors in the county. Now there are almost 50. Four of them were voted in in Sevenoaks, the first time the party has been elected to the District Council. We've been speaking to one of them. Here's Laura Manston. I'm Laura Manston, um, newly elected councillor on Sevenoaks Council, representing Ash and New Ash Green. 
So how does it feel saying that, Laura, after you've had time for it all to sink in over the weekend? How does it feel? Uh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've um, worked towards this for some time now. And um, yeah, we've had a few days, but it's only really sunk in today when we've had our induction this morning. And uh, it's all very exciting. So, yeah. Absolutely. As you say, you've been doing an awful lot of hard work, but I guess even more hard work starts now. But why do you think it was that the party did so well at the local elections? The Green Party has excellent policies on everything from education to health, um, to transport, as well as the um, environmental policies. But on a local level, we find that once Greens get elected, people really want to keep hold of them. Green councillors are really hardworking and they're compassionate, they're collaborative and they're really committed. So um, once we get elected, people people like that, our, our sort of way of doing things and, and often re-elect us. And obviously it's the, the first time in Seven Oaks that the, the Green Party has got some councillors. Um, there's there's four of you. Well, can you tell us a bit about some of the things you were campaigning for specifically where you're based? So in Ashinuash Green, um, the key issues here for people are firstly the transport. Um, we have almost no buses left now um, after the cuts from Kent County Council Conservatives. So um, being in a rural, semi-rural village, um, it can be really difficult for people. There's no bus to get to the hospital, for example. Um, so people have to, people who, especially those who can't drive, need to get multiple buses. Um, so that's a real challenge for people. Um, the other issue locally is our shopping centre, which has been um, declining for a number of years now. And um, the combination of a lack of you know, choice um, and local provision, along with the lack of transport, has been a real issue for people here. What are you hoping to achieve, Laura? Obviously, as I say, a lot of work to be done. What would you see as a success over the next few years whilst you're a councillor? So, like I say, um, the green, we're the first four green green councillors on Seven Oaks Council, um, and that you know, it's wonderful, um, it's a wonderful achievement, but it will come with challenges because it is still a conservative majority at the council. So our key role is going to be to scrutinise the decisions that are made and to influence what influence them where we can so that they have a, gr that, so that decisions are made with a green lens, really. Um, and so the, especially those in the more rural areas are really, um, listen to throughout the chamber. And here's Mike Blakemore from Folkestone and Hythe. Clearly we've got 11 councillors. Labour also did very, very well in these elections here and doubled their number of councillors to 10. So they're only just behind us in terms of numbers of councillors. Um, so we're really keen to work with them, really keen to work with two Lib Dem councillors as well. It sounds cheesy, but for the for the good of the district and the, and the benefit of local people here, because one message that came through very clearly when we were campaigning, and we did certainly in Cheriton and, and elsewhere, we've campaigned really hard for this. We were out every day knocking on doors and meeting people. And I think they uh, felt very disconnected from their local council, very mistrustful of it, feeling that uh, things were being done to them rather than for them. So our top priority is to really change that relationship between the council and the people in the district to make them feel like uh, we're working with them and we're working together, we're listening to them and we're responding to what they what they want from their council. 
first and foremost, we're going to cancel the Prince's Parade development, which has been a, a huge issue here. People outside of the district might not be familiar with it, but this is the development of a piece of seafront between Seabrook and High that's been a, a massive issue here for uh, probably for more than a decade. Um, the developments, the plan was to build 150 houses and a new swimming pool there. Um, and that uh, development, we've said, and Labour and the Lib Dems have agreed, won't go ahead. So that will be one of our first things. And that was a big issue um, wherever we campaigned. Um, but other things that we'll do uh, will include making the big Ottable Park development as sustainable and as green as we possibly can. That's a huge development of a new town um, out just outside of Hythe. So that's another big priority for us. I know a lot of people would would like that development not to go ahead, but unfortunately that it's not going to be possible to cancel it. So the best we can do is make it as good a development as we possibly can. We want to support green jobs. There's a lot of talk here about um, nuclear. We don't think that's realistic to generate nuclear power at Dungeness in the future, but we do, do understand entirely how important it is, particularly to people living uh, in Romney Marsh, the jobs that that provides. So we want to provide green jobs. Uh, across the district and support our local businesses and high streets. And green jobs will include things like uh, insulating as many homes as we possibly can um, and uh, building as many affordable homes as we can. Of course, crucial to a lot of this is money. Um, we also want to be realistic. And we were realistic when we were campaigning that um, obviously, you know, uh, central government funding of local authorities has been hollowed out over the last decade. Um, and some of those things like Prince's Parade have saddled us with um, a lot of financial issues to deal with. So we also want to be realistic and not, not overpromise. But there are lots of things we can do without spending lots of money, including, as I say, changing the, the nature of the council and its relationship with people. And some other things around, as you'd expect from the Green Party, increasing biodiversity uh, and uh, trying to make um, uh, council buildings net zero carbon. So those are the kind of things we can do. Kent Online reports. Two Kent churches are set to close and could be sold due to high running costs. St Thomas's and St Mildred's in Birchington are in need of repairs to make sure they can be used in the future. Everyday maintenance costs are also said to be significant. The decision was made to close the churches after discussions at the parochial church council. Reverend Mark Ham says it will cause considerable upset to the congregation. A Kent pharmacist has reacted to yesterday's announcement from the government as they unveil plans to ease pressure on local GPs. Pharmacies in England are going to be able to prescribe antibiotics and contraceptive pills without sign-off from doctors. The government says its plan will free up 15 million appointments over the next two years. Amish Patel is from Hodgson Pharmacy in Longfield. He says while there is some funding to help it happen, it won't stretch far enough. On one hand, I very much welcome the extra funding that pharmacy is getting because for over eight years now, We've seen no uplift in funding whatsoever. If anything, we saw a decrease. So it's great that the government are finally recognising pharmacy for what we can do. It also means we get to use some of the skills that we've been developing over the years, like becoming an independent prescriber. So we can actually write our own prescriptions to deal with these medications that they're talking about. However, equally, looking at the figures, I'm not sure that's going to be viable at the moment. Um, pharmacy is already struggling with capacity and with funding. And my own figures, you know, I'm a second generation pharmacist and my projections would say that in two years time, I'd potentially be out of business. So although this is, potentially, you know, we're looking at extra funding, it potentially makes a net loss because I'd have to employ another member of staff and all the money that we're going to get for delivering the service is going to go on another member of staff, probably even 
not even cover the cost of that member of staff. So by delivering the service, I potentially accelerate going out of business because the funding is just not there or sufficient enough. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Obviously, there was a there, there was a big announcement. If we can take it back to um, what it would mean for the community, what you, as you said yourself, you're a second generation pharmacist. You've been living and working in that community for decades. Yeah benefits to, to that community so at the moment we know that gps are really overstretched a e departments are really overstretched and getting access to medicines is quite difficult sometimes to get a joint gp appointment so if this service can work it's obviously going to relieve a lot of pressure on the other areas of the primary care like the gps and it's going to mean that patients get to be seen that a little bit quicker and get the medicines in a timely manner so hopefully then we're preventing them from going into a e in hospitals because they're going to get better that little bit sooner as well so it's you know it's a big benefit to the patients uh, of an area. Do you think that their scope, if this rollout is successful, I think it's seven conditions that um, pharmacists are going to be able to prescribe medications for. Do you think there's scope for that to grow if, if, it, if it proves to be successful? Yeah, almost certainly. As long as pharmacists get the training that's required. I mean, like I said, we already do a lot of training anyway, and we have a lot of the skills. Just making sure that all pharmacists have the same and equal training uh, to, to look at all the conditions that might come out. I definitely think it's going to be better use of pharmacists. Like I said, we've, we've been developing these clinical roles for a long time, but it's never been able to use them. So I, I think there's great potential as long as funding is also there. And I think that's the key thing, isn't it? Funding. Um, I think it was only a few months ago that you were talking about how your business is potentially in danger. We've got pharmacists closing across the country. Um, you know, is, is this moving the problem from GPs just onto pharmacists? Just a case of reshuffling the deck, as it were, but not providing any solutions? Yeah, I guess it's got the it's got the patients at heart. It's got the best interest for the patients with this kind of service. So they like I said they're going to get seen in a timely manner, hopefully, and that kind of thing. However, equally, I said the funding is not there. Our core funding of dispensing and all the other essential services that we offer are, are inadequately funded, uh, which means that if I like I said if I take on this service and it's from my own figures at the moment, it looks like I'd be running the service at a loss. I'm only accelerating myself going out of business in a few years' time. So they, as well as this funding being there and it's new money for pharmacy, they really need to tackle the essential pharmacy funding deficit that we're currently facing. The government said it will put an end to what it calls the 8am scramble for appointments. A Sheerness woman says the cost of living crisis has forced her to cancel an operation so she can carry on looking after her cats. Caroline Norton has 14 rescue cats at her home but their care's getting more expensive and she can't afford insurance. She's delayed having dental surgery because of a lack of funds and has also given up her car but says nothing is more important than her pets. A faulty dehumidifier is thought to be the cause of a fire in the basement of a home in Gillingham. Emergency crews were called to Green Street yesterday afternoon and managed to put out the flames before using a high-pressure fan to clear the property of smoke. Luckily, no one was hurt. Kent cricketer Sam Billings has revealed he's had surgery for skin cancer. The 31-year-old has described it as a reality check after being diagnosed with a malignant melanoma on his chest last October. It was discovered after the club organised a skin cancer screening for the players at the end of last season. Kent Online reports. A Gillingham man who suffered a spinal injury while serving in the RAF has been chosen to compete for Team GB in sitting volleyball. Darren Young has previously competed at the Invictus Games for injured servicemen and women. The squad are preparing for the Para Volley Silver Nations League in Nottingham later this month. A Medway school is celebrating after being rated outstanding in all areas by inspectors. It's the first time Ofsted have visited the math school in Rochester since 2008. They praise the behaviour of students and 
Commission found a positive and inclusive culture. And a huge chunk of sunken boat has washed up on the Kent coast. The Coast Guard has been made aware of the shipwreck in Deal, although it's not clear where it came from. The large scuffed hull is still sitting on the beach opposite Deal's Timeball Tower. You can see photos at Kent Online. Kent Online Sports. In football, the Gillingham boss says he's hoping a deal can be done to keep Connor Masterson at Priestfield. He's on loan from championship side QPR and has played 38 league games for the Jills over the past two seasons. The 24-year-old defender is out of contract this summer and apparently wants to stay at Gillingham. That's all from us here today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. To sign up, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.